0: Hello, and welcome to the Beef Cattle Health and Nutrition Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. John Campbell. This week, I'm pleased to welcome back Dr. Joyce Van Dockersgood to the podcast for a repeat visit. I won't go through all of Joyce's resume again. You can go back to last week's episode to hear that. Joyce is currently working on various extension and research projects for the beef cattle industry with other university, government, and industry partners. This week, we're going to have a chat about the importance of proper vaccine handling and storage. Let's get started. Hi, Joyce. Welcome back to the podcast. It's great to have you here again.
1: It's great to be here, John. Thanks.
0: Well, today our topic's about uh, vaccine handling or storage of vaccines and all the issues around that. So why do we need to worry about vaccine handling? Why is it important?
1: Well, you know, I'm Dutch, so obviously I don't want to waste money. um, So I want to make sure whatever vaccine I'm using will work. And I've seen too often in practice where, you know, you spend money buying it in a vaccine and then you have a problem with the vaccine and it's something simple we did in administration that we forgot about that was important. So I think it's very important to frequently remind ourselves, um, you know, some of the basics on proper vaccine handling to make sure that vaccine actually works when you hope it works, right? Because you're expecting it to work.
0: Exactly. Uh So why do you think it's important to review good vaccination techniques with producers and veterinarians?
1: Uh, I think, you know, you know, I have a lot of experience in feedlot as well as cow cap, but you know, in in cow-calf operations, we only vaccinate certain times of the year. So it's not as frequent, but you know, I've seen in feedlots where, you know, we're working cattle every day and vaccinating that if you don't constantly reinforce basic vaccine practices, people are, get busy, they're tired, they're in a hurry and then you overlook things and and so you know one thing I always did particularly in my feed yards was constantly reminding people we did audits I did processing audits to you know go in the barn with myself or some of the other veterinarians that worked with me and we would watch the guys vaccinate and it's amazing you know you can you can educate like Dr Radice taught taught me you know sometimes you have to tell somebody something 10 times before it sticks But, you know, it's just, it's so simple to forget little things that are so important because these vaccines are perishable. And little things can make a difference whether that vaccine is going to work or not or whether you're going to have an outbreak or not. So I think we constantly need to remind ourselves. Plus, we get new vaccines on the market. Not every vaccine's label and how we use it is the same. So I think it's important, you know, we read our vaccine labels, even though they're terrible small print, we can't see it half the time, but try to read them so that we understand how that particular vaccine is supposed to be administered to improve the success uh, of that vaccine.
0: Exactly, and, and it's easy to make assumptions that everybody knows how to how to administer a vaccine, but that's not always the case. Sometimes we get new staff and, and people helping us that, that maybe don't know how to do it properly and, and they need some training. Let's focus on producers first. Uh, In your experience in beef practice, what were sort of the most common reasons for vaccine failure resulting in disease outbreaks in either beef cow-calf herds or feedlots that you worked with?
1: So in the disease outbreaks, you know, that I I did with Dr. Ganson, you know, in Saskatoon, I was there, you know, IBR outbreaks we saw sometimes, usually with that, it was that the, the cow herd had not been annually revaccinated. So then they brought in some new, you know, replacement heifers that were carrying the IBR virus. And then because the herd hadn't been annually revaccinated, it resulted actually in an abortion storm in the third trimester, which is terrible to have that. And uh, so that's what I saw with IBR. you know, not annually revaccinating, because um, vaccines don't last a lifetime, right? So that was one thing. Uh, With BVD virus, we saw quite a few outbreaks with a lot of persistently infected calves born, and that went to timing of the vaccines. You know, sometimes we just don't work cattle before breeding. But as you know, John, that, you know, our highest risk of creating these persistently infected calves that are born with a virus and shed their entire life is if we don't vaccinate that replacement heifer or that cow before the bulls go in because we need to have them immune, um, you know, especially during that 40 to 120 days of pregnancy when we have these PI calves, but also to prevent, you know, early embryonic death loss, abortions, and these dummy calves that are born. So, you know, timing for certain vaccines is very, very important.
0: Yes, BVD virus, if it gets into a herd at the wrong time, can be pretty devastating. Uh, That 40 to 120-day window is... Uh, often what we use to sort of say that's when the virus can infect the fetus and cause that persistent infection. And then those calves are infected for life and are spreading that virus around everywhere they go, a little walking, talking virus factories. Um, so yeah, timing's pretty important as well. And and then administering it properly too. So we've seen failures where where people left the vaccine out while well, a modified live vaccine out mixed while they went for lunch or or took a break or something happened and then they came back and vaccinated the rest of the herd and and obviously that live vaccine wasn't working anymore because it had been left out at in the heat or at at uh, cold temperatures or something like that for a while after it had been mixed and wasn't effective anymore.
1: Okay, I was at a branding uh, within the last year and and just like you were saying, John, you know, our IBR vaccines, you know, if you buy the, the 50 dose, which is 100 mil, if you're using a 50 cc repeater syringe, you're only going to use half the ball, Right. And I was doing some video there for some of our vaccine video um, handling videos. And there, you know, they filled the syringe, but then they left the bottle sitting on the back of the truck, the pickup box, right? In the full sun, in the heat, you know, it wasn't put back in the cooler box. So so things like that, you know, I'm thinking, well, the, the other, you know, 50 cows or 25 cows are getting vaccinated. That vaccine's useless because the sun broke it down and it was in the heat. But the other thing I've seen producers do, even if they put that, partially used bottle back in their cooler box, if they put it directly on the ice packs, that's a problem. Like these viruses, you know, when they're live are highly sensitive. So there you need something in between it and the frozen ice packs so you don't uh, freeze it, that vaccine. So little things, like you said, John, can make a world of difference whether the vaccine is going to be effective or not.
0: Exactly. So t- let's talk about that in particular, transporting and storing and and using that those vaccines, what are some of the key points that we should remember when we're we're thinking about those things?
1: Well, I guess if producers remember anything is don't cook it and don't freeze it. (laughs) So that's kind of the basics. So, you know, if we're going to pick up vaccine at the vet clinic, You know, it's important that, you know, your vet provides you with a cooler box with frozen ice packs and that they don't put the vaccine bottles directly on the frozen ice packs. If there's paper or some bubble wrap or something in between, you know, that we don't stick it on the back of the pickup um, and then go, you know, go to town and pick up other stuff while we're in town or go have lunch in town. It's important that when we bring it back home, we put it right away in the fridge. Um, Ideally, you know, your fridges should have a thermometer, because temperature storage for vaccines, you know, ideally four to seven or eight Celsius. So it's important to have a thermometer in there and monitor your temperature. I would never put vaccine in the door of the fridges because the temperature is not cool enough there, more in your center shelves. And then, you know, when you're going out to vaccinate cattle, it's important again to have a cooler box with frozen ice packs in, and then something between the vaccine bottles and the frozen ice packs. And then, like we just said a minute ago, with your partially used bottles, you know, especially with your IBR and BVD combos or straight IBR or straight BVD, you need to put those modified lives back in your cooler box if you only use half the bottle. Yeah, you know, that is really important. So don't freeze it. Don't cook it. In feedlots, um, in the winter when it's cold, you know, they freeze the vaccine in the syringes sometimes. You know, then don't put it under the overhead heater and thaw it out <laughs> or put it in the coffee room and thaw it out and then use it. Because once you freeze it, it doesn't matter whether it's modified live vaccines or killed, they're useless.
0: Yeah, there's been some interesting research on, on refrigerators when you mentioned that in storage, that, that some of those old refrigerators maybe don't really keep things at the very, very good temperatures. So it's, that's good advice about having the thermometer in there and, and having a look at that. Uh, some fridges can be all over the map and, and fluctuate pretty wildly.
1: Yeah, especially those little beer cooler fridges. Um, you know, sometimes we have those on the feedlot on the counter in the yard. But I always tell the guys for those, you know, we put thermometers in too, but only bring enough vaccine out for a couple hours and then put it back in your good fridge. Um, you know, I don't really care if you got beer stored in there as well. Uh, you like your beer cold, so, and don't, fr- you know, you don't want to freeze your beer either, but, you know, definitely keep those vaccines cool at those temperatures. And then if fridges go on the fritz, they do that, you know, in feed jars especially, we have an enclosed room sometimes. You know, if that temperature gets above 10 Celsius, please call your veterinarian because most likely those vaccines are not going to be any good. And then, you know, um, hopefully you have some insurance on them and you record what you have and take pictures of it uh, so you can make an insurance claim uh, for those vaccines.
0: Well, let's talk about those modified live viral vaccines. So those are the vaccines that usually come with a diluent, some liquid and a cake that you mix together. What's the best way to reconstitute those vaccines, Joyce?
1: Well, usually I find a clean transfer needle. So those are those double-edged needles. Your vet can provide those to you. Yeah, those are the best way to not contaminate the vaccine bottle, but it should be a clean, vac- you know, transfer needle. So then the important thing to remember is to stick it in the, the liquid portion first, and then the one end, and then stick the other end of that vaccine needle into the dry portion because there's vacuum in the bottle with the, the vaccine cake. That's the dry portion that contains the vaccine. And then it'll draw the fluid into that second bottle with the vaccine, and then you can gently swirl it to reconstitute it sometimes you know we don't have good pressure or we did it backwards and put the vaccine needle first in the powder cake and then you'll lose all the pressure so then you know then it's important to use a clean syringe with a clean needle draw all the fluid out of the bottle um and then you know the diluent went bottle and then put it in with the vaccine cake Sometimes you'll have a little too much pressure when you're trying to do that. So sometimes I have to stick another needle in that rubber just to reduce the pressure or get another syringe to pull out some of that pressure to create a negative suction so I can get all the diluent in there. You want all the diluent in there so you get the number of doses and the correct concentration of vaccine. And then it's really important when you're mixing it, you don't shake it vigorously. First, you don't want a lot of air bubbles in there because those fill your syringe, and then you don't give the accurate dose, and you've got to get the air bubbles out of your syringe. But there's also some research more done in, in small mall medicine suggests that vigorous shaking can actually damage the vaccine proteins. Uh, so gentle swirling with your wrist uh, to reconstitute it's important. If it doesn't reconstitute, you know, within a minute or two. You're having problems with the vaccine. It could be the vaccine bottles are a little little too cold, that your fridge was maybe a little too cold. So you might have to let it sit for five minutes or so and then try to reconstitute it. But if you still have problems, I encourage you to call your vet before using it to make sure there's not a problem with the vaccine.
0: And how long are those vaccines good for then, Joyce, once you mix them up?
1: Uh, They're only good for one to two hours. So I always, you know, teach producers... Mix one bottle at a time of modified live, use it all up before you mix another bottle. And I think that's a very important principle to use. And then timing, right? If, say, you're going to have lunch, you know, say you worked a bunch of calves, you know, you're out in the, on the range there and you've worked, and now you're going to have a little uh, lunch break, then, you know, don't start a brand new bottle. I would then just say, hey, you know, I used to last my IBR, can we call lunch now? And then have your lunch before you, you know, mix a new bottle. I would wait to mix a new bottle. So that's a little bit on timing and paying attention to timing. So you don't want to have a bottle sit too long and then it becomes useless.
0: So we're administering our vaccines to our calves. What, what are some handy tips producers can use to make sure those calves all get the right vaccine at the right dose and route?
1: I think, you know, obviously first read your manufacturer's label. So you know the right dose, you know, whether it's two mils, you know, most IBRBVD vaccines are two mils, but when you get your clostridials, we have some that are two mils, we have some that are four mils, some five mils. So it's really important to give the right dose. You don't want to underdose them because then the vaccine may not be as effective. And If you overdose them, well, that's just a waste of money. And and then you wonder, oh, I didn't buy enough vaccine because we doubled the dose by mistake. So so dosage, check the label. So you give the right doses, check on your syringe. You know that you've turned the dial to the right dosage. And then check it every once in a while while you're working the calves or vaccinating them because that dial might turn on you. Uh, So you want to make sure that stays at the right uh, dose. If the label says you can give it in the muscle, IM or under the skin sub-Q, you can choose which route. Usually we prefer the sub-Q, under the skin route, less injection site, uh, scar tissue created, or potential for abscesses. Obviously, with intranasal vaccines, you have to make sure you have the cannulas. You push them strong, like tight on your syringe so they don't fall off in the nose. And then, you know, with these intranasal vaccines, important to read the label, whether you have to give two mils and one nostril or one mil in each nostril or whether you have the choice, then to make sure you put the cannula properly in the nose so the calf doesn't snot out the vaccine because it doesn't do any good on the ground. And obviously, you know, a big thing is proper restraint. There's different ways to restrain calves or cows when you're vaccinating them. Obviously, intermuscular sub-Q injections should all go in the neck because we don't want scar tissue in our expensive cuts of meat in the back end where sirloin steaks or rounds are, or steaks or roasts. So in the neck uh, for IM or sub-Q injections. And we want to space multiple injections a few inches apart so we don't get interference. And, um, you know, another thing on a ranch, if you're, you know, you haven't got them in a calf table, it's important. Your vaccine syringes are labeled, so cross-contaminate syringes. But then, you know, what I see, which is great when you want a job for the kids, is give them a different colored crayon. So the IBR vaccine is red crayon. You know, the clostridial is an orange crayon. Well, that's too close a color <laughs> Maybe to a blue crayon or something that'll show up depending on the color of your cattle's hide. But then you can see that the calves, for example, got all the different colors to ensure they got all the vaccines. Because obviously when you have four or six calves on the ground at once and people are running around to give the different vaccines, we don't want to miss giving a vaccine to to certain animals. And so using colored crayons or, or spray cans is a really good way to make sure you don't forget to give a vaccine.
0: So vaccines can be expensive. What are some things producers can do to sort of reduce the wastage of the vaccines they're using?
1: Well, I think probably the first thing is to, to estimate how many animals and different age groups you're going to vaccinate with each vaccine. And then when you call your vet to put your order in for your vaccines is to make sure you order different dosage vials. Like we tend to have where you can get 100 mils or 50 dose vials, but also with most vaccines like IVR, BVD types, we can also get some 10 dose vials or 20 mils. So, so you don't have wastage because remember these modified lives, you have to dispose of it after two hours. So if you also have some 10 dose, then you don't end up opening a whole new bottle of 100 mils and only using 10 doses and then having to throw the rest 40 doses away because you vaccinated all the cattle now and you don't need more vaccine because you can't put it in the fridge and use it later. So I would buy multi-dose vials. The other important thing is when you buy stuff, like first look what's in your fridge and whether you have any leftover vaccine and is it expired. Obviously, if it expired, you know, talk to your vet, but you need to dispose of it. I wouldn't use vaccines past their expiry date. Um, And then when you buy a new vaccine and bring it home, put the vaccine with the better dating, the longer dating behind any existing vaccine. So you use the older vaccine first to reduce the amount of vaccine you have to throw out because it's expired. And then obviously, like we talked earlier, make sure, you know, when you're reconstituting your vaccines, you put all the diluent in for your modified lives so you get the proper dose per vial. And obviously, make sure your syringes are set so you're not double dosing uh, vaccine and wasting it. You know, and then obviously with weather, you can't control weather, but we don't want to leave it in the sunlight. We don't want to freeze it because then we have to throw it out. So trying to manage temperature of these vaccines so you don't have to throw away either too hot vaccine or frozen vaccine. More vaccine sitting in the sunlight too long.
0: So part of this process is using needles and multi-dose syringes. How do we deal with those? Uh, disposal of the needles and cleaning of the syringes, what sort of things should producers do in that case?
1: Yeah, so with you know needles, whether you buy them in a box of 100 or you buy more, stainless, more expensive stainless steel ones, those can be used longer. But with the disposal needles, we suggest recommendations are 5 to 10 head. And um, you could buy these um, sharps containers from your vet, or, or you can just have an old Javix bleach bottle and put a felt on or write sharps. And then after you've used your needle or it's become bent or bird or dull, then throw it in your little sharps container. And then once that's full, you can seal it. If you have an incinerator on farm, typically you can incinerate it on farm. Uh, Those used needles, just beware when you clean out your incinerator, if you throw that in the field. I know I did that at my my folks' place, and then my dad got a few flat tires. So all those needles don't always uh, melt. So just be aware of that. Um, Some of the county dumps will take them as biomedical waste. You would just have to check with your your, uh, county dump if they would take them. Then syringes, it's really important to clean them at the end of the day. Please don't leave them in a sink. Um, Inside the barrel syringes, only use hot Water And it should be potable water, like drinkable water, uh, because we don't want a lot of bacteria and stuff floating in there and contaminating inside the syringes. We do not want disinfectant or soap inside the barrel of syringe or rubbing alcohol or anything, because no matter how good you rinse that, you may leave residue that can affect the effectiveness of particularly modified live vaccines. And then like we said, it's important to label your syringes with a different vaccine. So clostridials have a different syringe and you always use that uh, gun for, for clostridials because clostridials tend to leave a little residue no matter how good you scrub inside the barrel. And some of that residue might inactivate a modified live uh, vaccine gun. So that's why it's important to label. And then in the old days, those little O-rings or rubber rings get a little brittle sometimes if you use your syringe for a while. So people used to put mineral oil around that we don't recommend you put anything inside the barrel because again it can interfere with the vaccine potentially so your vet can sell you little bags of o-rings so if that rubber uh, gets a little brittle then you can just throw it away and put a little new o-ring on so in summary cleaning syringes use clean hot water uh, potable water inside the barrels Um, make sure you don't put any mineral oil or anything else inside after and then store them in a, a clean dust free area. <clears throat> Some people suggest putting them in a Ziploc bag and putting them in the fridge to prevent mold growth. I mean, I've just used them in a clean Tupperware container with a lid just to keep the dust out. And uh, and then obviously if you have a draw syringe, which are the ones like for clostridials, where we hang around our shoulder and we have a hose, it's important to clean that hose as well. So if you have a double sink, you know you can fill the one sink with clean hot water and then um, squirt the, the dirty stuff in the other sink. Don't squirt it back in the same sink with the, the clean water because you just contaminate the water and then you're not cleaning the syringe properly. So, um, yeah, it's very important to have your syringes cleaned and then dry. And uh, ideally, with 50cc syringes, you should take them apart to clean. So I encourage you to watch the videos we have. We have some good videos on how to properly clean syringes of all types.
0: Right. And we'll link to all those videos in the show notes. One thing we didn't touch on uh, when we're administering those vaccines, we should never uh, take a vaccine needle that's been in an animal to draw out more vaccine out of the bottle, correct? Correct.
1: Yes, because the hide is dirty, and so you're going to get bacteria just from injecting through the hide of an animal, or even in the nose. And But obviously, you can't put the cannula inside a bottle. But we do always say put a new needle on every time you go into a vaccine bottle because you don't want to contaminate it. If you start seeing little floaties in your vaccine bottle, that means you've contaminated it.
0: So let's talk a little bit about record-keeping, and, and I know that's not the favourite subject of many producers, but why is it important to have documented vaccine protocols and more particularly the vaccine records which vaccines you used in which animals
1: well the protocol as you know it is kind of a, a guidance document to to you know inform the producer from the veterinarian which vaccines to use in which group of animals and when as well as the dosage and roots and withdrawal periods so so it's important to have you know standardized um, her specific vaccination protocol and annually update it based on your disease risks and the Could be potentially changes in the vaccines available or their effectiveness over time that we learn. So important to know. So everybody, you know, is on the same page and what vaccines to use and when. And then the records obviously tell us what we've actually done. And that's really important because if if we're going to have a disease problem, then everybody's memory is different. and, And then you forget things. And at least if you have a record, you can go back and see, okay, this is what I did and what I didn't do. So records are really important, uh, as well as having a proper protocol. The other reason is if you're part of a program like Verified Beef Production Plus or other types of programs, or you're selling you keeping retained calves or you're selling to a feedlot producer, you know those kind of records are very valuable to know you know what has been done and when to those animals. So again, at the end of the day, they help us make informed decisions and help us deal with problems in trace back. If we have issues or heaven forbid you have a drug reaction, a vaccine reaction to a particular vaccine, those records and even the lot number and expiry date are important for your veterinarian to know. So they can report that to the pharmaceutical company if you had an anaphylactic reaction. So um, records can be very simple. Um, So even just putting it in a scribbler, putting it on a calendar or your calving book, You know, most ranchers have a calving book. Yeah, you can get now fancier programs. You know, Troy Drake has a great program, software programs, but they're all kind of different ways to record this information. It's just really important to record it. And then the other reason for yourself is if you had good success with a vaccine, when you go to talk to your vet about your next year's vaccination protocol, it's really handy to know what products you actually used. So your records will help you inform, make an informed decision.
0: Yeah. I think another reason too, for the records is, uh, Some of the vaccines, the modified live vaccines have a claim for use in pregnant cows, but the claim requires that those animals have been vaccinated in the previous year with the very same vaccine. Uh, So having those records makes you make sure that you're not vaccinating something that didn't maybe get vaccinated in the previous year for some reason or another, or to make sure you're using the same vaccine in the next year so you don't get abortion issues or things like that.
1: Yeah, that's really important because, you know, particularly like there are some different strains of BVD in different companies' vaccines and there is cross protection. But but yeah, the companies are not going to stand behind it if you haven't followed the label directions, just like you said. There is a risk of abortion depending on the different vaccines, right? So that is really important. We have seen problems with that. You know, I've seen that. Uh, where different companies' product was used, but then they had issues, right? So I agree, 100%, that's very important.
0: So where can producers go to get more information on the proper handling of vaccines? What kind of videos did you develop? And well again, we'll put a link in to those that are out there in the show notes. Yes,
1: yeah, so we created six uh, videos for producers and vets. So one is on, you know um, administering vaccines. One is on vaccination protocols and records, the other is on cleaning equipment. One is about types of vaccines and mixing them. One is on vaccine transport and storage, and then one's on vaccine disposal. So yeah, we'll, um, John, you'll have those links that you can provide to the producers. So. As we said earlier, they're also on the weekend um, website. Uh, if you are a member, you can log in and you can become a member easily just by creating an account. For vets, they're on the Western Canadian Association of Bovary Practitioners website for members. Our goal is to, once we have these tools all done in the next month or so, we will have them available on the Weekend website as well as the UCVM beef website. And then BCRC is looking at, um, once we have all the materials, how they're going to also disseminate them. And then we'll have them, the links available to vets as well, so they can share them if they want on their websites. So our goal is to make it available to whoever wants them. And um, yeah, I think those are the main routes of availability. And then we always encourage you to talk to your veterinarians uh, to you know because things change over time. You know how we handle vaccines that's that's pretty standard. But but you know what vaccines are available, what aren't on back order. That's all an issue we've had with COVID recently. And we may have new vaccines, you may have new research that suggests they're more effective. So at the end of the day, most valuable resource uh, to help you decide what vaccines to use and when and based on your disease risk is your veterinarian. So we encourage you to work closely with your veterinarian. And part of veterinarians, our job is to make sure we have the resources available for you to use. And if we don't know something, that it's our job to go f- talk to other people, other experts in there to figure out um, answers to your questions.
0: That's great advice, Joyce. Thank you again for being on the podcast today. You're my first guest who's been on more than once. So congratulations on that. And uh, thanks again for joining us today.
1: Well, thanks, John. We really appreciate your help in getting the message out here on vaccines. And uh, yes, look forward to working with you in the future. All the best.
0: Okay. Take care. That's our show for this week. Thanks to all of you for listening to the podcast and thanks again to my guest, Dr. Joyce Van Good. If you're looking for any of the links to in our show notes, please go online to our webpage at bchn.transistor.fm. Thank you as well to our sponsors, the Alberta Beef Producers and the Beef Cattle Research Council. Please consider subscribing wherever you get your podcasts. We always appreciate your feedback and if you have questions or comments or would like to suggest topics that you'd like to see covered in future episodes, please email us at bchnpodcast at gmail.com. Take care till next time.